This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. You know what salt does? Salt does two things. Salt adds flavor and salt preserves. And so the call on your life and my life, where Jesus is concerned, is that we would add flavor and, and that we would not do anything in our lives that would spoil the message of Christ. And that's a, that's a tall order. That's a big call. That's hard. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff talks about sharing our story. He urges us to not only live a life that is changed by the gospel, but to also speak it and share it with others. If you need help to be bold and share the news of Christ in your life, keep listening. Here's Pastor Jeff with today's message. Hi, right, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. I want to read a passage. It's not the passage with which we'll ultimately be dealing, but Luke 6.33 says, If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? It's a whole different life for us. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit? What's, what's he saying? We're, we're different people. We treat people who do bad things to us with grace and mercy, because we're people of the cross. That's a hardcore live. That's a that's a, that's a, a tall order, isn't it? And God gives us experiences all the time just to put us to the test. See how we're improving on that. This is a the call on our lives is a hard one, man. It's a hard call, and because we we are ambassadors and we have a a good news of the gospel to bring to the world, we got to be careful of the way we live and how we respond in every circumstance. I know me. Man, there are too many people, I shouldn't say it like that, there are so many people that go to this church now, i got to be very careful how I'm acting everywhere. There's not a place I can go in in San Dimas, Glendora, Laverne that somebody was not there. And I, I have to keep that in mind now. You say, why don't you just be yourself? Well, myself isn't always good. Is yourself always good? If it is, you're at the wrong church. You don't need any grace or mercy. You need to find that perfect church. That's why we take seriously Colossians 4, 6, where Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's us. We've, not only do we live a righteous life, or we try to, we're not so good at it sometimes, but even the way we talk, you know what salt does? Salt does two things. Salt adds flavor and salt preserves. It keeps things from going bad. And so the call on your life and my life, where Jesus is concerned, is that we would add flavor and, and that we would not do anything in our lives that would spoil the message of Christ. And that's a, that's a tall order. That's a big call. That's hard. And that's why sometimes when people say to me, you know, you Christians are weak. You need a crutch to make it through life. I've heard people tell me that. And I just want to look at them and say, dude, have you read the Bible? I mean, you better, you better suck it up if you're going to follow Jesus, man. You're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to do things like turn the other cheek. 
It's easy to hit back. The tough part's not hitting back. You're going to have to pray for people who persecute you. You're going to have to wish your enemies well. You're going to have to remain sexually pure. <laughs> That's huge. You're going to have to love and respect your mother-in-law. You're going to have to be generous and live by first fruits principles. You're going to have to resist temptation. Dude, if you just give in to temptation, you're weak. Resisting is the hard part. That's the calling on our lives. But the tallest order we've been given by far is that we're supposed to go out to the world and communicate the gospel. We're supposed to give people a reason for the hope that is within us. We're supposed to go out and speak the name of Jesus, who is exclusive in a pluralistic world. We're supposed to go and tell them there's no other name under the heavens by which we are called to be saved other than Jesus Christ. In fact, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended is what? Go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, teach them everything I've, 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 that I've taught you. Teach them to obey it all. Not just hear it, but to do it. And I'll be with you always, in, even to the end of the age. Now, stay with me for a second. In some respects, if you've been really transformed by Jesus, this is a natural result of a life of transformation. Nobody has to tell you to speak about Jesus. Think about it. Nobody has to tell you to talk about something that you love. Okay? Nobody has to tell me to talk about golf. Nobody has to tell me to put it in almost every sermon I've ever preached. Nobody has to tell me to talk about my wife. There's a natural cause and effect here. That's what happened to Peter and John when they were preaching in Acts 4. They got called in. They said, stop doing this. Stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And here's what they said. You tell us which is right in God's eyes. This is Acts 4, 18 through 20. This is actually verse 19. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They're saying, telling us not to speak and talk about Jesus is like telling us not to talk about the fact that we just got married or we just had our first child or we've just discovered the greatest treasure in our life. <laughs> we can't help but to speak of the things we've seen and heard. I just got another message from Ajay Law. This is uh, Abhijit's dad that's spoken here, doing great work in northern India, and another one of his pastors has, has been murdered for preaching the gospel, okay? You ever stop and think, why do they do it? Why not just go home and live in a comfy little place and receive Christ as your savior? Is it really necessary to go into hostile territories and preach the gospel? And, and to them, it's not a religious thing. In other words, they're not doing it because they're thinking, hey, if I do this, God will accept me into heaven. No, 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 no. That's not the motivation of Christianity. It's not, if I do this, then God will receive me. They know that salvation is by grace through faith. They do it because they love India, and they want the people of India to hear the treasure and discover what they found in Jesus Christ, who secures their eternity. So all that being said, a few weeks ago when I started this series, I read from 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And I ask you to repeat, I am God's ambassador. I was not elected by the people. I've been called by God. Now, here's, here's the issue then. How do we do this? I grew up in church feeling guilty all the time because my pastor told me I should share my faith. But I didn't know how to do it. So every time I heard the sermon, I was motivated and I felt guilty, but I didn't know what to do next. And the gospel must be spoken. It's not something that you can simply live out. 
Now, it's important that you live it out, but Romans 10, 14 says this. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? In other words, words are required. Now, why would I say that? Because we're living in a time where I hear people say, well, I'll just live a good life. Well, there's a problem. There are other people who are not Christians who live a good life. There are other people who are not Christ followers who do good deeds, who feed the hungry, okay, who clothe the poor. There has to be explanation to content. You have to explain why it is that you do what you do. And what if Jesus would have just come to the earth and died on the cross and never said a word? You have to, you have to explain why it is that you do what you do. People would have just looked at him as strictly a lunatic, a crazy man, or a criminal, but he explained how this was foreshadowed, ordained by God, that he would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Now, you and I both know that transformation among people is real. I know I see it in some of your eyes. I've made a new friend, one of my new friends, his name is Rick Reed. Rick's a great golfer, so we've spent some time together. But I love Rick's story. He told me a story on Monday. He said, you know, somebody invited me to this place one time. I had a friend who invited me to this place on a weekend. And I sat there near the back, and you got up to speak, and the first thing I thought was, okay, who gave him the goods on me? Who told him that's what was going on in my life? This is a setup. I'm serious. And he said he left, and he didn't come back for like five months. And he came back, said, okay, I'll try it again. Same thing happened. Who told him what I'm going through in my life? And I explained to Rick, dude, this is, has nothing to do with me. This is called the Holy Spirit speaking to you at the right time in the right place. And his life has been, here's a guy that was uh, a Christ follower in name only. And he'll tell you he was an ultimate narcissist and it ruined most of the relationship in his life. And then he came and he had his experience. God changed him and now he's on fire for God. And so you hear those stories over and over and over again. So here's what happens. And then we're going to get in. This is part of the message. This is the setup. But here's the deal. When transformed people like Rick, like you, Hear a pastor talk about this tall order, this calling on our lives to be ambassadors for Christ. Here's what happens. And I know this because I've been there. First, your pulse races and your heart beats. You think, yeah, he's right. Man, I'm an ambassador. I ought to be speaking the name of Jesus to everyone around me. And then soon after that, the second thing happens. An overwhelming sense of guilt comes that you're not doing it. But then third, that's replaced by frustration that you don't even know how to start. And then you go back home and nothing changes. There's nothing worse than a pastor telling you what you ought to do without giving you scripture of how you ought to do it. Nothing worse. That just brings guilt and frustration. Because I think for most of us, we do have a heart of transformation. We have been changed and we really want to be an ambassador. We just don't know where to start. Okay, I want to give you, I kind of feel like Jesus this weekend, not that I'm anything like Jesus, but I kind of feel like him when he said to the disciples, I have longed, how I have longed to share this supper with you. This weekend, how I have longed to share what I'm going to share with you. How I've longed to say this, to take a weekend and say, stop, let's do this together. So I'm going to give you three keys, okay? And this is where, this, this is where it starts. The first thing I want to say is, do not try to be me. Don't do that. Apologists are rare. They really are. Apologists is from the Greek word apologia. It means to give a defense for the faith. 
So when you meet somebody or when you're thinking about somebody far from God that you want to bring near to God, sometimes you'll think, if I could just answer all the hard questions like Jeff, I think I'll call the church office and get my friend an appointment with Jeff. If I can just get a copy of Jeff's book and give it to this person. You don't need to answer every possible accusation against the gospel. I spend much of my time doing that, but I've been called to do that. God's equipped me for that. There are some of us that are just crazy people, and we like to talk about the abstract. We love to sit down and talk about hard questions, and we never get angry. But it's a gift of God. Not everybody has it. Some of us don't get defensive. We enjoy the conversation. And besides that, let me tell you something else. Seldom is anybody converted through my arguments. I just try to break down walls so that some of you can become a friend to somebody and do what really matters in a person's life, and that's relationship. Usually when I enter into conversations with people, I'll go three, four, five months, and then they'll get to the point where they'll realize, okay, I've got a problem. What he says makes sense. But I don't want to become a Christian because I have to change my life. So usually I lose them. Because you usually don't bring somebody from darkness into light by some kind of argument. Even Paul said, I don't come to you with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, that my favorite joke I've told you a gazillion times is the guy who walks into his family one day and says, I'm dead. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, I'm dead. I said, dude, you're not dead. No, I'm dead. I know I'm dead. And they try to figure out how can we convince this guy that he's not dead. So they get this idea. And they use film strips and books and articles, and they show him that only living people bleed. If you're dead, you don't bleed. Only living people bleed. So they keep doing this day after day. Look at this. Only living people bleed. And finally, he admits, I guess you're right, only living people bleed, at which point they take a pin and stab him in the arm, and he starts bleeding. And he looks at him, and he says, great, Scott, I guess dead people bleed too. <laughs> What's the point? To him who is not searching for truth, Giving evidence is just giving more information for what? For misinterpretation. If you're truly and really seeking the truth, you're going to find it. But I think a lot of people say, man, if I can just have a meeting with Pastor Jeff, if I can stump him, then my atheism will be proven right. And so when they don't, do you think they convert? No. It's a matter of the heart. Now, I want to, I want to try something with you here. Be honest, you're in church. Raise your hand if you were brought to Jesus by a friend. A friend of yours brought you to Jesus, even when you were six or seven years old. How many of you were brought to Jesus, keep them up high, by a friend? How many, keep them up, how many were brought by a parent? Okay, did you see that? I mean, that's, that's overwhelming. So here's my question. You currently have the most effective means of evangelism. Why would you want to try mine? Friend brings friend. You don't need some great debate. Those are fun. If you really want to do this and be a great ambassador, number one, learn how to speak the gospel in a succinct, simple way. Just learn how to be clear and simple of what the gospel is. Now, let me give you an example in Scripture. How many of you know the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian? Uh, he's really, a, he says, we, we, you call him the eunuch in Scripture, but he's really in charge 
of the queen of Ethiopia's household. He's kind of like the accountant. Candace was her name. And he was in, so this is a real person in a real place. And the Bible says that he's walking along and God gave him a divine intervention. And this Ethiopian ruler is reading atop a chariot, Isaiah the prophet, a key passage. Philip, who's one of the most shy disciples, okay, doesn't have the gift of gab like Peter does, sees him reading, and because he's always on the lookout to speak the word of Christ, he says to the Ethiopian ruler, he says to him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? So he invites him up into the chariot, only to discover the Ethiopian ruler is reading a messianic prophecy out of Isaiah. He was led like sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. And then in verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? So Philip says, okay, uh, Mr. Ethiopian ruler, let me explain the gospel to you with clarity and simplicity. And here's what he says, starting in verse 35 of Acts 8. Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. He just preached Jesus. Now, it says, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What is it that hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, well, nothing. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, well, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I love this passage. So Philip, how cool is this? Philip shares the gospel, the guy gets converted, and then <laughs> he just disappears. That's cool. Now, why was God doing that? Well, in the early days of the gospel, it was important that the gospel go out to the known world. So God was moving his servants in and out everywhere. But today, there's a gazillion Philips all around the world. The problem is, Philip was on the lookout for an opportunity he was attuned to an opportunity. It's what he lives for. But for so many of us, we're investing in other things other than what is truly important. Getting the gospel of Christ to the world, to our friends and neighbors. So after Philip has this life-changing experience, he looks for an opportunity. He finds one. Look at verse 35 again. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. You know what I think he did? I think he drew the gap illustration. Okay, I might be out of line there. But do you realize what I've given you here? I've given you the gospel with simplicity and clarity. Everybody can do this. You don't have to be more, any more educated or equipped than this. To just take a napkin or a, a serviette or just something and say, look, I know we can have all these conversations about good, pain, suffering, evil in the world, but can you just listen to what the gospel is? You're here and God is here, and your sins separate you from God. That'll speak something to everybody. And the only way to go across, and then just take your finger and draw a cross. The only way for you to get to God is that your sins be forgiven, and that's what God did through Christ on the cross. If you can just draw that, that is to speak the gospel with simplicity and clarity. Now, the reason this comes in here, too, because this always comes next. In the conversation, somebody will say, well, I'm really not that bad, so I don't have that much sin. That's why you draw this one. How good do you have to be before God receives you? God doesn't grade on a curve, and when you mention that to somebody, it makes sense to them. 
So learn just through a simple illustration of some kind that you can draw to communicate with simplicity and clarity the gospel. And when you do that, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit of God then will take what you've done and fill in the gaps. So number one, learn how to speak the gospel in a succinct, simple way. Now, some people say, well, Jeff, God never gives me those opportunities. Why would he? Why would he? Because you've not invested in yourself to be able to be used of God to clearly communicate the gospel. God is a wise steward with his resources. He's not going to put you in a position and send somebody to you through the Holy Spirit knowing that you're not able to speak the truth of the gospel. Philip was ready. Are you? And if you're not, you've got to get ready. You've got to be able to speak the gospel with clarity, sincerity, in a succinct, simple way. Now, here's the second thing. Learn how to share your story of what God has done in your life. Now, this is where I bring in John 9. I love John 9. Jesus heals a blind man. He takes mud, puts it on his eyes, and the guy sees. But the Pharisees, who have already made up their mind that no matter what happens, they're not going to believe. You with me? And to give them more information is just to give them more information for he who does not love the truth for misinterpretation. So they come to the blind man. They say, who healed you? And in verse 15, he basically says this. Well, there was a guy, a dude, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Now, that's his story right there, and it's a simple one, isn't it? Why do you, what did this man do to you? Well, I was blind. He put mud on my eyes, now I can see. That's a good story. I was blind, now I can see. But the Pharisee said, well, we know this dude's a sinner because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Dude! <laughs> He, he healed this guy. It's a miracle. And you're worried about some legalistic law of some sacred day. He, he, the guy was blind, and now he sees. So then they turn to the blind man. Okay, what do you have to say about this? It's your eyes he opened. You get it? You're the one who got healed. Who is this guy? And he says, well, isn't it obvious he's a prophet? And they still didn't believe the Bible said. And they also didn't believe that he had been born blind. They think, no way, if you're born blind, man, you stay blind. Because if you're born blind, it's because in their theology, he deserved what he got because of something his family did. And so no way that God's going to heal him. And so they go to the blind man's parents, and they ask the parents, hey, is this your son, and was he born blind? And then they say, how is it that he can see now? I love the parents' response. Hey, we know he's our son. You don't need to tell us. He's a, we, it's our boy. Uh, and he was born blind, and he can now see. But how that happened, we don't know. And then they say, he's of age, ask him. Why would they do that? Because the Pharisees had already determined that anybody who claims that Jesus is anything unique or special will be kicked out of the tabernacle, the temple. So they said, don't hold us accountable. He's the one who got healed. Can you imagine the story? He's the one who got healed. Ask him. So they went to him and they asked him. And I love verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man. And they said to him basically this, give glory to God and tell us the truth. <laughs> we know this man is a sinner. And he replied to the blind man, whether he's a sinner or not, I really don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love that. I, he didn't want to get in a theological argument about who's a sinner and who's not a sinner. He avoided that. Don't get sidetracked. Just tell your story. A person can't argue with your story. What happened to you happened to you. The real question is, has anything happened to you? 
And if it has, learn to tell it. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. This is what happens. It just takes a matter of faith, a step, and then God uses you as a tool and an instrument. Next thing you know, you're on cloud nine because you didn't realize you could do this. You thought you had to be Jeff. You don't want to be me. Number one, learn how to speak the gospel in a succinct, simple way. Learn how to share your story. Remember who you are and what you were and what Christ has done. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.